0: If you have your Bibles turned to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Over the next few weeks I want to take a look at a number of familiar Christmas stories and see how we can apply them they seem like simple stories but how we can apply them to our lives especially in this year that the phrase keeps being said this is a year like no other (coughs) but even in this strange and challenging year we're still as the days progress closer and closer to the 25th you're probably going to hear a phrase over and over again from friends from family from people you just passed, are you ready for Christmas? Now, I believe when people ask that question, what they're asking is, have you put up all your decorations? Have you finished your Christmas shopping? Have you mailed out all your Christmas cards? Have you scheduled and put in place all your various holiday plans? Even in a year like 2020, we're probably going to get many of those same comments. Are you ready... For Christmas, and the season can become so hectic. So much preparation has become required for us to be, quote unquote, ready for Christmas. Yet, when I ask the question today, I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking a different one. I'm not asking about your activities or your agenda or is your holiday calendar already in place. I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking about attitudes. I'm asking about something deeper that goes into our heart. Now so many will say year after year, because of various things going on in their lives, or specifically in this particular year, all that's going on globally, I just can't seem to get into the Christmas spirit. So with all this as the backdrop, I want to look at what Christmas really means as we head into this particular holiday season. For you see, Christmas is a list of very simple things. It starts with God becoming a human being. God becoming one of us. God expressed his love by living among us. And walking with us. And talking with us. So as we enter Christmas 2020, what are the right attitudes so that we can bring quote-unquote Christmas into our homes? and our hearts, and be truly ready for Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, beginning reading in verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name, Jesus. As we begin this holiday season, this Christmas 2020, and look at an example of how we can follow to have the attitudes we need to have, I want to look at an unlikely model, Joseph. I submit that from this story, it is Joseph who can teach us so much about the attitudes and the mindsets and the things inside of us that can make Christmas real for us and Perhaps real for other. First, one of the things Joseph teaches us is to accept God's will, whatever it might be. Joseph teaches us to be open and be willing. Continue his successful business as a carpenter, and then his bride comes to him and says, "Hun." Uh, I'm expecting a baby. The thoughts that must have gone through his mind. You're expecting a what? I thought you loved me. How could she be unfaithful to me? See, by all appearances, what was being presented in front of him, she broke a bond that existed between them and their betrothal. So what do I do now? Yet what's interesting to me about this story is that the news of this, which had to be shocking to Joseph, did not change his feelings for her. He still loved her. He had no desire to shame her publicly. He had no desire to embarrass her in front of everybody. And verse 19 tells us why. Because he was a just man. He was an honorable man. So we need to be careful in thinking that the world revolves around our schedules and plans because church it doesn't. Whether seasonal plans or life plans, oftentimes things can go in a very different direction. Now, according to the law of Moses, Mary, the penalty for what, was, what appeared to be obvious of her being with child and not being with a husband, and Joseph was not going to claim that it was his, which was a good thing because it wasn't. The penalty under the law was that she would have been stoned to death. Which is why Joseph still extended himself to protect her. He wanted to put her away, but privately. He still wanted to end the relationship, but do it in a way that wouldn't cause her harm. But God intervened. I love those three words. But God intervened. How many things, how many situations, how many areas of our lives have happened... And gone in a very different direction because God intervened. Many of us are here today. Many of us are whole today. Many of us are well today. Many of us are provided for today because God intervened. God intervened and gave Joseph a dream. And the essence of the dream, although there were specifics in it, which we'll get to, the essence of the dream was, Joseph, trust me. Trust God. You may not understand what's happening, but everything is going to be okay. How many of us can say we understand everything that God does? Please don't raise your hand. And Joseph trusted God. For so many of us in all of our lives, what follows that phrase that I trusted God is usually good things. Now, the circumstances may not always be good, but trusting God is always the best path forward, the best way to move in life, and the best way to have what he wants for us. Joseph yielded his life to the will of God. Now, Joseph wasn't just being asked to have faith. We often use that phrase, "We'll just have faith. He wasn't just being asked to have faith. He was being asked to live by faith to walk in faith. He was being asked to trust God when the situation made absolutely no sense to him. Even with all the questions that must have remained, he trusted that God, God's will was best. And we can learn that from Joseph today. Can we trust that God's will, not if, when we don't understand it, when we don't have the ability to comprehend, Lord, what in the world are you doing? And we can feel this same emotion, especially this time of year. You see, Christmas is a time of peace, yet there's so much conflict around us. Christmas is a time of joy, yet there is so much sadness around us. In theory, Christmas is a time of love, yet there is so much hatred around us. And we cry out, like Joseph probably cried out, how can this be? Yet if we'll listen, if we'll still our hearts and quiet our minds and quiet our being, we too will hear a voice from heaven that will say, trust me. Lord, We need to trust you. In a way, Christmas happened. That first one happened because Joseph trusted God. When this attitude overcomes our our personal demands for our own ways and our own plans... We can find a peace in the midst of those questions. We can find a peace in the midst of uncertain circumstances. We can have a center that is strong and on a solid rock because we know that no matter what comes my way, every step of that way will involve the king of kings walking with me. It's not just a verse that we quote. It should be life to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that... All things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This promise only means something. This promise only arises when things aren't good. When things are wonderful, when things are at the top of their game, when everything is going exactly the way we wanted them to, no one quotes this verse. No one says, well, all things work together for good. They are good. This verse gets quoted when it looks like all things are falling apart. When all things are going in the wrong direction. Yet we have this promise that all things work together for good. But that's where we get to trust him. And not just have faith, but live in it. Day by day. As Joseph did. So Joseph can teach us to trust him. Another thing Joseph can teach us as he got this amazing news was learn to care about other people. You see, the angel told Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife in verse 20. How many know if you weren't going to be afraid to take Mary as your wife, that meant the baby too? And to take her meant to care for her is the original intent of the language, which meaning care for her and care for the baby. You know, when you look at the nativity scenes in most of our Christmas expressions, whether they be nativity scenes or, or uh, Christmas dramas or various plays that are put on, Joseph really does kind of get the short end of the stick. He really plays a minor role. He's just lucky to get into the nativity set, really, if you ask me. We often see Mary in this angelic look and and form, looking just so wonderful and and peaceful and and angelic. And then we have the shepherds, and we picture them as being so excited at the coming of the Lord for the star that they saw. And the wise men are displayed, looking with such reverence and, and such honor on the Lord. And off to the side, somewhere in a corner, we put Joseph Yet his role, whether we consider it major or not, was crucial to this moving forward. It was to care for the needs of his wife and that baby. To care for the needs of others. I found this great Christmas story about a young couple with an 18-month-old son who had gone to spend a few days with their grandparents at Christmas. Christmas fell on a Sunday that year and the young father had to be back at work on Monday morning. So right after going to church Christmas morning, the young family said their goodbyes and set off for home. They weren't willing to there weren't many filling stations open since it was Christmas day, but they did find a truck stop that was open. So they stopped to get fuel and something to eat. They went inside in the dimly lit lit restaurant and sat down and found that they were the only customers there. Or so they thought. But then the little boy, Eric, kept saying, hi there. Hi there. And looking around, he would say, hi there. And every time he said it, there was a response from a table in an alcove near the door. Hi there, little boy. They looked at the alcove and saw an old, ragged, tattered-looking man. His shoes had holes in them, his toes actually stuck out, he had an old hat tilted to one side, and his face was unshaven. And when he smiled, it was revealed that all his teeth were gone. And yet for some reason, little Eric was attracted to this old man. He kept saying, hi there, hi there. Every time the old man would answer, finally the man said, little boy, do you know how to play patty cake? Sure enough, from across the room, little Eric started playing patty cake. Little boy, do you know how to play peekaboo? Sure enough, the little boy hid his eyes and played peekaboo with the old man. There was an instant rapport between little Eric and this old man, who was obviously a reject of society. Eric's parents felt uneasy. The husband whispered to his Wife, let's get our food and get out of here as quickly as possible. So they gulped it down. Then he said, I'll pay for the food. You get Eric, and we'll leave. She started toward the door, hoping to get out without any problems, but as they passed him, Eric reached out his arms toward the old ragged man. The old man sat there looking up at the mother and then asked, Would you let me hold the baby? Really? She didn't have much to say in the matter as Eric nearly jumped out of her arms and lunged toward the old man. He cradled Eric in one of his hands and patted his back with the other. As Eric put his arms around the old man's neck and nestled his head on his shoulder, closing his eyes, the old man just talked to him and tears started streaming down his cheek. For a long moment, he held the child and loved it. As he did, he looked up at the mother and said, You take care of this little boy. And she answered, Yes, sir, I will. Then he handed Eric back and said, Thank you. You've given me the greatest Christmas present ever. You see, the first Christmas came because Joseph cared about the needs of others and put the needs of others above his own. Christmas can come that way for us in the same way, realizing that people are more important than plans, realizing that precious moments like this need to happen in all of our lives, that we need to be able to extend ourselves, that we don't want to be like the first two people in the story of the Good Samaritan who saw the man who was in need and walked on the other side. Realizing that we often shun and dismiss the ones that Jesus was born to save. So I'm going to make it my hope and my aim personally to not be in such a rush at Christmas or any other time of year, but to be a blessing to Jesus. You're saying, Pastor, what do you mean be a blessing to Jesus? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, In so much as you did it to the least of, Did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, You did it to me. You see, when that mother gave that present to that old man, She was giving that present to Jesus. That's what I'm going to say, but, You've got to be so careful today, and we do. You've got to be on guard today and be mindful of certain things. We do. But the reality is, and I'll stand by it, that we have so many opportunities to extend ourselves into what are naturally uncomfortable situations that we miss them and not allowing the Spirit to guide us. We can learn from Joseph. In that he put aside his own needs and his own plans for the future and his own desires and decided to care for his wife and to care for the baby. He cared for others. We can learn from Joseph just to accept the will of God, we can learn from Joseph to care for others. And the last thing we can learn from him is that we can learn from him to give whatever we have. Joseph had no idea, as any first-time father has no idea, what he was getting himself into. He didn't know he would soon have to leave all that he knew in Nazareth and in Bethlehem and then go spend years in Egypt. He didn't know his entire life was about to change. He, didn't, he probably looked forward to the day when he would raise a son. He probably never encountered or entertained the thought that he would one day not only raise a son, but raise the son of God. Probably didn't come into his mind. He probably didn't hang around with the boys over at the carpenter shop and say, you know what, I'm going to raise the son of God one day. That didn't happen. It probably brought some unique challenges. I've often thought, how do you discipline the son of God as a teenager? I don't know how you would do it. And spanking must have been an interesting ordeal. But he gave himself to the task anyway. He gave whatever he had. See, trusting God, he trusted that God would accept the effort, accept whatever he had, and multiply it and make it sufficient. And the truth is, we have so much. We've been given so much. And we need to give as we have been given unto. I've been looking for and seeing a lot of stories. This other one just touched me. Wally was a seventh grade student who was bigger than any other students in his Sunday school class. His mother had been an alcoholic when he was born. And as a result, Wally just did not have the same mental capabilities that the rest of the classmates had, but somehow he managed to get by. Christmas time came and his class decided to put on a Christmas pageant. Since he was the biggest, Wally was selected to be the innkeeper. After all, the innkeeper was kind of the villain of the Christmas story. So they coached Wally to be just as mean as he possibly could. Well, the night came for the Christmas play, and in it, Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, went to the inn, and knocked on the door. And Wally opened the door and said, what do you want? (laughs) Just as mean and gruff as he possibly could. Joseph said, we need a room. We need a place to stay tonight. Well, you have to stay someplace else, Wally said, because there's no room here. There's no room at the inn. Wally remembered his lines. Joseph said, but my wife's expecting a baby just any time now. Isn't there some place where we can stay, where we are protected from the cold and where, we can, and where she can deliver the child? No, Wally said. There's no room here. And suddenly there was a silence on stage. It was one of those moments when you know someone has forgotten their lines. From behind the curtains you could hear the prompter saying, Say, begone, begone, which was Wally's next line. But for some reason, he choked up and forgot what to say. Finally, after he had been coached for several seconds, Wally managed to say, Begone, both of you. Mary and Joseph turned to leave. But just as they did, Wally said, Wait a minute. You can have my room the director of the play was ready to pull her hair out because she knew that the whole Christmas pageant was ruined. But I have to wonder, was it? Maybe Wally, better than anyone else, commuted the real, communicated the real spirit of Christmas. You can have my room. That's the giving of whatever we have. Not the giving of whatever we have left over, but the giving of whatever we have. And that's not just about the people we see around us, but that's coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I give you everything I have. Not just the time I have left over, not just the money I have left over, not just the part of my heart or part of my mind that is left over because I have other things to do, other things to think about, other things to take care of. No, we say, Jesus, you can have my life. My entire life. All of it. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? He gave his entire life. We celebrate at this time of year the beginning of a journey that would end in a horrific but glorious scene. Usual circles of influence, especially the ones we would normally get together with in December. So I don't know if any of us can truly say we're ready for Christmas. Ready mentally, ready emotionally. But I do hope That our attitudes are ready. Even if our schedules are not. I do hope our hearts can be ready. Even if the circumstances around us are not. Ready to trust God no matter what. Now trusting God doesn't mean you don't continue to ask him for things to go a certain way. If you're praying for someone to come to the Lord. Trust God but keep praying for that. If you're praying for healing in someone's life or in your own, trust God that God's will is going to take place. But keep praying for his healing to be manifested. Whatever you're praying for, financial provision, whatever it is, we trust God and we keep asking. But Lord, make us ready. Make us ready to accept whatever comes our way. Make us ready to care about other people and do it with a whole heart, even in the midst of our questions, even in the midst of our challenges, even in the midst, let's be real, of our pain. Ready to say to those the Lord brings our way and be certain the Lord will bring them our way. You know what? You can have my room. How can I truly meet your needs? You know, I've worked in Manhattan for over 30 years. Gone through the subways, walked the streets of Manhattan for that length of time. And recently, in one of our video conferences at works, one of the guys before the meeting was starting was asking, do you miss anything about the city? You miss anything about the city, especially at the upcoming time of year. And yeah, New York City gets a whole, a whole lot prettier in December, especially we were at Midtown, so we weren't far from Rockefeller Center. And someone said, yeah, even the commuting to work seemed more pleasant. And I piped up and said, I do not miss the Long Island Railroad <laughs> at all. But it's dawned on me over the last couple of days. Those I would see in the subway stations. Huddled up on the side. That in full disclosure, I just often ignored. I wish I could see them now. As the Lord has begun to work on my heart. And perhaps do something in their lives. But again, Pastor, this is 2020. 2020 we've got to be so careful yes please be careful I want everybody who's listening to me right now to please be careful but being careful doesn't mean we have to not care we can still care while being careful to tell people you can have my room how can I help You can have my lunch. What we need to do, if we're going to extend ourselves and make this season what it can be, then one of the examples we need to follow is that of Joseph, the most insignificant part of the nativity scene. I've even seen nativities that had Mary and the baby and the donkeys, and the sheep, and the wise men, and the shepherd, but no Joseph. Joseph got moved aside by the donkeys. Yet he was there. He cared, and he trusted God. Let that be our heart's cry. Not only at Christmas time, but for the whole year round. Stand with me, please.